scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Uh, Before I read, I'd like to thank um, Pastor David uh, for coming to share the word with us this morning. As I mentioned, Pastor Tony is away. Um, uh, Pastor David is uh, an assistant pastor uh, at Redeemer Downtown, um, and we're very blessed to have him here sharing the word with us this morning. Um, His sermon is entitled, A Baptism of Hope, based on the Gospel of Luke. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you meet us in your word. We thank you that by your spirit we can worship you in truth in community to know more of who you are. We pray that, Lord, your presence and your spirit would be present with us now to speak truth into our hearts, to examine us, to cut us, to heal us, and to move us closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is uh, David Lee, uh, as you you heard. And uh, just a little bit about myself before we begin. I am a Korean-American immigrant who moved to the States when I was three years old. I grew up in a very small town in Delaware. Then I moved to New York uh, City about 14 years ago to attend college at NYU. I studied finance there. I worked as an investment banker on Wall Street for a number of years before heading to to seminary. And uh, now I'm in ministry. I'm an assistant pastor at Redeemer Downtown. And just last week, I got engaged to my fiance. So... Thank you very much. That is my life, basically, in a nutshell. That's my entire life testimony right there, which means, and you you can kind of imagine all these different forces and backgrounds and experiences and cultures all coming to a clash, which means I basically grew up uh, questioning my identity from every lens and every angle that you could basically imagine. I grew up in in an Asian, uh, Eastern culture that told me to build my identity a certain way. Basically, it says, hey, you are deemed worthy if you become a part of our community, if you play your role here. If you do as, our, as your parents say, as you do as the broader community says, then you will be deemed worthy. And so I grew up trying to really achieve the American dream, hence the, the Wall Street and the finance kinds of ideas. And then I got to New York, and New York has a much more of a Western view, the Western view of how to build an identity, which basically says... Do, do you. Be yourself. Only you can deem yourself worthy. Don't do what these oppressive larger cultures tell you to be. Be who you want to be. And then I also grew up in a Christian home, thank, thank the Lord, 
But um, in many ways, the, the Christian community also has another way of building an identity. Um, many ways, it's, it's an unintended way, but basically says, well, if you really go to church every week, and if you volunteer, and if you're here early, and if you worship lead, and if you usher, and if you do all these things, then God will love you more. And that at least was sort of uh, my background in the church that I grew up in. And those were some of the biggest forces that I grew up with. That's a little bit about me before we begin. And um, it's been a pleasure to be here to know a little bit more about you guys, Redeemer Hoboken. From the moment that I stepped in, it's been a very warm, it's literally warm up here actually a little bit. Um, but it's been, it's been warm, it's been lively, it's been energetic. I feel like I lost all my energy in that worship because I traded all my sorrows just right then and there. Um, and I feel like I got a sense a little bit of, of who you guys are. But the question that I want to ask this morning for us is, who, who are you? You guys sitting here in the this, uh, this seats, how, how would you identify yourselves? What makes you worthy? What, what do you say to others when you introduce yourselves? What do you find your most, your value in, and where do you really place your identity? I think when I think about my background and all the different things that shaped my identity, um, at, at the core of it, I was all looking for the same thing, and that's basically to have a sense of worth and a sense of self that is ultimately deemed praiseworthy, accepted. I want it to be accepted. I ultimately want it to be loved. I think we all crave an identity that is that no matter how you get it, no matter where you find it, no matter who you find it in, that is what we're after. And the question and the problem for us becomes, how do you actually get an identity like that? What gives you an identity like that? Well, we just had our passage read from the Gospel of, of Luke, and you might read that and say, well, what does that have to do with identity and who you are? Well, the answer is everything, because baptism is inherently all about identity. And our passage this morning, it's centered around this, this beautiful uh, pronouncement from heaven spoken over Jesus the Son in verse 22. This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And this statement that comes from heaven about Jesus' unique identity is not just significant for who Jesus is, but as we're going to see today, it's extremely important and significant for our identities and who we are. Because it's only when you can find your identity in who Jesus is that you can really, really be assured of having an identity that is praiseworthy, that is accepted, that is loved, and, that, and one that can never be taken away. And so that's why our passage is so important, and uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. This passage of Jesus' special identity proclaimed over him and what that says about our identity. So let's just look at three things really briefly. First thing that we're going to look at is how do we get an identity today? And then we're going to look at what does this passage say about Jesus' unique identity in his baptism? And then we're going to look at how does that give us a new identity? So our identities today, Jesus' unique identity in baptism, and what baptism ultimately says about our identity. I was told that I have about 20 minutes, and um, we'll see what we can do. Just pull me off stage if it gets long. Um, so, how, how is it that we get an identity today? Well, um, you know, when you start thinking about it, you realize you, you don't really realize that you are being shaped and formed in an identity. At least I wasn't. You're not conscious of it. 
And that's because our culture and, and, and the cultures that we grow up in, there are all these subversive forces that are shaping an identity constantly for us, and we're really not aware of it at all. And so I didn't realize that I was being shaped in a traditional identity growing up in, a, in an Asian home, uh, living in a, uh, basically in an immigrant community. And I also didn't recognize how when I got to New York, I was being shaped in a modern identity, a very individualistic identity versus a communal identity. And it took a little bit of time to dissect that a little bit and what that meant. Because, and, and it was really important because the battle for our hearts are wrapped up in our identities. And the problem is that our current modern identities, the ones, the, the ones that we are created, uh, being built up now, that our kids are being built up in, that we are being built up in, is an extremely shaky identity. Let me show it to you this way. There was this uh, 2016 Zico coconut water advertisement that came out that featured Jessica Alba. Now, if you're of a certain age range, you definitely know who Jessica Alba is. And um, it was a, an advertisement that I saw in a New York City train station in a metro stop. And it was for Zico co- coconut water. And the tagline was, what's inside is everything. What's inside is everything. everything. And the two advertisements that I saw, one of them said this. Doesn't matter what's against you when you know what's within you. And another one said, if nothing else, be like nothing else. What's inside is everything. Now, what is Zico Coconut Water saying here? They're saying that your sense of self, your sense of value, ultimately your identity, should only be found by looking where? Deep within yourself. And what you find there is going to deem you worthy in this world. Nothing else. Nothing from the outside. It's all inside out. And what you find in there should be like nothing else and utterly original and utterly awesome. Because face it, we are all utterly awesome people. And I get what they're trying to say. And that sounds good, particularly for for coconut water. Because we drink coconut water, so we care what's inside of coconut water, very much so. But the problem becomes when, when that mantra becomes our um, identity-shaping uh, norms for us in our world today. The, ba- the message basically becomes, don't try to get any affirmation from outside of yourself. Just be who you are no matter what. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks in this world. There's a, have the courage to be yourself right there, right? Now, it's not all bad. But here's, here's the problem. Uh, Robert Bella, who is a, a great thinker, he's, he says this. He says that the modern identity, he coins it as expressive individualism. And it comes out in, in things like this. And he says, basically, uh, all former cultures, people developed a self by moving toward others, seeking their attachment, basically by looking outside of yourself, right? Looking to community or the people around you, to, to family, etc. But modern secularism teaches that we can develop ourselves only by looking inward, by detaching and leaving home, religious communities, and all other requirements so that we can make our own choices and determine who we are for ourselves. That's expressive individualism, and that really uh, encapsulates our modern identities today. And now, that might sound fine. But here are a couple of problems with that. First, it's a lot of pressure to be like nothing else. And it also leads ultimately to a lot of dissatisfaction. Um, 
Just think about if what you find in yourself has to be completely unique and different from everything else. Do you know how much pressure that is? There's no wonder that we, in our, in our society today, we, we struggle so much with materialism, consumerism, because we're trying to find the next thing that's going to separate us, make us different. Just make us one degree different. It's like, oh, look, I got the same shoes, but I have yellow laces. I'm so different. It's like, no, it's the same shoe, right? But that, we're constantly striving to try to become different. And what that does is it ultimately leads to a lot of dissatisfaction. Have you guys ever um, turned on Netflix and now there are like thousands of shows and you're like, oh, what am I in the mood to watch? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe a romantic comedy. No, well, maybe a romantic thriller. I'm not. You, you just start flipping and flipping and flipping. And then by the time you know it, it's been 45 minutes. You haven't picked a show. And ultimately what you choose, you're not really like satisfied with. Like, did I, did I pick the right show? Should I watch something else? It, when you want to be utterly original and utterly different, it leads to a lot of dissatisfaction. Uh, here's another problem. It's very crushing. Now, if just think about this for a second with me. Um, if your worthiness comes only from what's inside of you, you know what that means? Now you are fully responsible for all of your success as well as all of your failure. If everything is inside, well, what if you don't have it? What if you don't make it? What happens then? There's a study that uh, basically said that depression is on the rise now because of this pressure, this growing pressure to succeed. And, every, and all of that is based solely on what, what you do and what you find in yourself. You have nothing else to blame if it's all inside you. That makes our self-worth way more fragile, way more vulnerable in the face of difficulty. And one philosopher, he basically says that we are so, our modern identities are so vulnerable to the recognition of anyone that we deem really significant. Because we're not quite sure if we are significant. We don't have it within ourselves. We can't, we're not satisfied if, if it's everything within us. There's a lot of risk there. And then uh, lastly, I'll just highlight um, another problem with a modern identity is that it's really impossible to validate yourself completely and deem yourself worthy. Now, there, I don't know how many of you are in this room, but if, if I stood up here and literally every single one of you looked at me and you, and you thought I was a monster, you would be crazy to think if, if that wouldn't affect my psyche or my self-esteem at all. Like, I don't care what Redeemer Hoboken thinks. I love me. When you guys all thought that I was a horrible human being, it... It would have to pierce through my psyche. It's because we are meant to be relational and communal beings that we can't escape getting our worth and our validation from outside of ourselves in relationship. And so even when modern people claim that they're self-validating, they don't care what other people think, and all they, all they care about is what they think, at the end of the day, they're still getting their validation from outside of themselves. So even if you say, I agree with Zico coconut water, I just, I'm just going to be me, and it doesn't matter what other people think, you know where you're getting your validation from? From Jessica Alba and Zico water. You're saying, yes, they get it. They understand me. I'm with them. So e even when we think that we are self-validating, what we're basically doing, when you put it in social media terms, is you're just leaving one Facebook group, and just go into another one to get your likes. You are associating yourself somewhere else in order to get your validation from people who think like you and will lift you up. 
And what that ultimately does is that it leaves us with a really fragile, vulnerable, and, very, and therefore a very threatened identity that's never quite sure of our self-worth, never quite sure if we're able to do it, and we're threatened. When you look at this passage, who, who sounds a lot like King Herod, doesn't it? King Herod who's challenged in his identity and his authority as a king. And so what does he do to John the Baptist? He says, throw him in jail. I can't have you threatening my, my position. That's where my identity is found. I have to move out against you. So let, let's just stop and pause here for a second and just ask a question for us. And just consider, what are you basing your identity on? When you think of yourself, when you think of what makes you worthy, when you think of what makes you praiseworthy, what, what validates you, think about what that is. And then consider, can that be threatened? Is it fragile? Can it easily, can it easily be taken away from me? Now, that's our modern identity, and, it, and, it, and I basically painted it to be a very shaky one. But there's good news, because there's another way to build your identity that's not just even from a traditional way to build your identity or a modern way to build your identity, and it's actually in stark contrast to both of those ideas. And believe it or not, there is an identity that won't give you more pressure and anxiety anxiety to keep on performing, but one that will give you rest, a deep, deep rest. There's an identity that it won't crush you, but one that will give you the most life you've ever experienced. And one that isn't self-validated or even validated by Zico Water or, or a celebrity, but one that is deemed worthy by the most praiseworthy person in the universe. And the best part of all of that is that you can never lose this identity. It's yours forever. So... But in order for us to get this new kind of identity, we have to first see what this baptism says about Jesus' unique identity. So the first point that we looked at was uh, how do do we get our modern identities? And and now we're moving to, well, what does this baptism say about Jesus' identity? Because it's only in understanding Jesus' unique personhood that's revealed to us in this passage, in his baptism, that we're able to understand how we are given this completely new identity. So we have to do a little bit of work to, to figure that out before we can move to us. So what does this uh, passage say about Jesus' identity? And, and ultimately, why does it even matter? Right? Who is Jesus and why does it even matter? Well, this really important text, it's, it's a really important text to clearly reveal to us in the Gospels exactly who Jesus is and why he came, what he came to do. Verses 21 and 22 helps us answer that who question where we read, As he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now most commentators, they say how this alludes to a lot of these passages in the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament about this long-awaited chosen one, through whom God will save Israel and accomplish his mission for the world. Isaiah 42, 1 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 61 says, The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, 
because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. So who is this long-awaited Messiah that, this, that the prophet Isaiah spoke of? This text, it's telling us it's, it's him. It's him right there. This is the divine endorsement of Jesus as the one, chosen, favored, the very son of God through whom God's promises for the world will become true, will be accomplished. It's him. It's been confirmed. There's no more waiting. There's no more shadows. There's no more guessing. There's no more failures. He is utterly unique. He is the greater Moses. He is the greater David. It's him. It's, he's the one that I've been speaking about for the, from the history that time began. And what has he come to do? Well, when you read uh, this passage as well as the Isaiah passages that I alluded, there's this interplay between salvation and judgment because that's what the Messiah came to do, to bring salvation through judgment. And there's this weird mix of judgment and fire and, and you know, that kind of language mixed with salvation. Well, why? Well, because look out into the world. This world is full of injustice, sin, evil, brokenness. And when you look out there and we look into your hearts, it's something that none of us can deny. And it has to be dealt with. I I mean, isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all long for and yearn for in our lives? Every wrong that was ever done to us made right and reprimanded. Every wrong that we may have ever done, any regret that we may have had, completely made whole. And the Bible says that the cause of all of that is ultimately because we were alienated from God. We haven't lived the way that we were meant to live in relationship with him. And so we've ultimately, we've, we've lost our identities that we were always meant to have that were first given to us by God, who we are. And his word for us was always meant to be the first shaping voice in our lives, the most important voice in our lives, the most formative voice in our lives. But what did we do? We rejected him. And we chose to find our sense of worth and our sense of value in anything and everything but him. We chose to worship the created thing rather than the creator. But now, this text is saying, all that is wrong with us and in us and in this world due to being in a wrong relationship with God will be healed, redeemed, restored, made new. Through who? My son, whom I love. And it's through him and him alone that good news, this gospel news, will come. So that's what's revealed in this baptism of Jesus. That's what's so important about this text, this unique identity that's given to Jesus and what he came to do. Well, so now you've got to be asking, okay, so what does that have to do with my identity? And this is our third and last point. How does that give us a new identity? Well, if you're listening carefully you'd see that we're actually all in the wrong here, right? Salvation comes from Jesus through judgment. And we are all worthy of judgment. We're actually all undeserving of having a restored identity. 
we rejected him. We, we, we wanted our identity found in everything else, in our, in our job titles or in our relationships, anything else other than God. So how is it that we're given a new identity that we don't deserve? The answer is found in our own baptism in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know what Paul is saying here, the Apostle Paul? You know what he's saying? He's saying judgment for all of our sin and our alienation and our rejection of God that we could never pay came on the cross. For when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because Jesus, this chosen one, the Messiah, the one, and because of his death, and ultimately because of his resurrection in our place, when we put our trust and our hope in him as our Lord and Savior, his death becomes our death, that we should have died. And now his life becomes our new life. That's what's happening in baptism. So when you're baptized in Christ, your old life and your identity outside of Christ is now dead. Whatever you found your significance in, whatever failings that you thought defined you, whatever successes that you thought defined you is now dead. And instead, we're raised to new life as a new creation. And we're given this utterly new identity. And why that's so important and special is that this is an identity that's not achieved. But it's what? It's received in the work of Christ alone. And that's radically different from any way you could build any kind of other identity. Whether it's a traditional identity where you find your worth and significance by um, getting closer to community and finding your worth in them. You're still looking to the outside approval of others. Or whether it's a modern identity like Zico Water that says look inside you. Both of those things are still ultimately looking for the approval of others. It's, it's one that says you have to achieve it. You have to work. You have to do a lot more. You have to achieve more and more every day, every week, when you go to your jobs and your relationships. Keep working, keep working, and maybe you'll make it. That's what our identities say today. But an identity that's received and not achieved doesn't matter what others really think of you. Because Christianity gives you this utterly new kind of identity that says nothing that you could ever do could ever merit the love of God. And because there's nothing that you could ever do to merit the love of God, you know what that means? That means there's nothing that you could ever do that could ever lose the love of God for you over your life. It's given to you by grace and grace alone. And now it's based on Christ's merit and his work that you have the God of the universe who looks at you like his crown jewel, like his prized possession, and he dotes on you. And when he looks at you now, he doesn't see your failures or your past or whatever you've, whatever you've achieved in your jobs or in your lives. Instead, you know what he, when he looks at you, you know what he says? He says, you are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. And that completely changes now how we operate and go out into the world. I mean, isn't it interesting how this baptism story is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? This is Luke chapter 3. It's not Luke chapter 15 or 21. It's not at the end of his ministry yet. I mean, Jesus hasn't yet resisted Satan in the, in, in the wilderness. He hasn't yet healed anyone. He hasn't yet fed thousands of people. He hasn't yet raised Lazarus from the dead. He hasn't yet gone to the cross and died. 
in perfect obedience and love. He hasn't done any of that. You know what that tells us about this? It tells us that the pronouncement of the Father over Jesus is what equipped Jesus to go out to accomplish the work ahead. He didn't work to gain the Father's love. He worked precisely because he was loved and accepted. That means Jesus worked from his baptism, not for his baptism. Just imagine with me for a moment, waking up each morning in your, in your beds when you're half asleep. You've got crusty eyes. You've got crazy hair. You've got bad breath. You haven't made yourself presentable yet. You haven't donned on any identity that you're going to don on later that day as a mom, as a, as a sister, as a father, as a coworker, as an accountant or an architect or an artist, as a stable well-to-do, as someone who's got a great 401k, anything before you don on any other identity that morning. Imagine hearing the word of God from heaven say to you, you are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. Before you've done or accomplished a single thing, before you have gone out and failed a thousand times that day, this year. And imagine if God's voice was the first and foremost formative, identity-shaping voice in your life, the way that it was always meant to be like it was in the Garden of Eden. And then imagine going out into the world, working from your baptism, not for it. And you take on whatever this year has to, has to bring. You take on whatever things are coming up at work or in your relationships or in your family from your baptism. If you do that, I guarantee you, your life will be changed. Your identity will be different. You'll be changed because you'll have an identity that won't give you more pressure or anxiety to keep performing that day, this week, this year. But it'll give you rest, knowing that it's been done. It is finished. You are deemed worthy, accepted, loved by the God of the universe. And now it doesn't matter really what anyone else thinks of you in this world. Because the God of the universe looks at you and says, I love you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what my son, the chosen one, has done for you. And the best part of all of that is that you can never lose it, no matter what you do, because it's an identity that's been received by grace and grace alone. If you go out into the world that way, I guarantee you, you will be a blazing witness to this world, a blazing witness in your communities, because you'll have something that this world really, really desperately needs and wants. And it's found here in the baptism of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that, Lord, it is because of the work of your Son that we can go out into this world knowing already who we are, why we're acceptable before your eyes. And I pray that, Lord, Redeemer Hoboken would be a church and a community, one that is... Um, solely rooted in their baptized identities in Christ, that they would go out into this year knowing more and more what it means to be found in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.